When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and I'm delighted to be giving you a bit more of a calmer episode this week. Joining me today is Mr Simon Bukowski. Si, how's it going? Yeah, very well, thanks. I'm sorry I missed that. Oh, you missed absolute chaos and I apologise for my little my little mistake. <laughs> At some point, Stu, you're also with us today. No more evisceration on this podcast, shall we say. No, it wasn't a mistake. It made the, it made the podcast look <laughs> on. Use of metaphor was was wonderful. Well, yeah, definitely. As you say, Sai, it's been a week, you know, since you were here with us last week. I'm busy dying after a hectic week of writing about the Super League. But, you know, we had a Carabao Cup final on Sunday. You were there. City managed to, you know, seven days has been gone from last Sunday to when the Super League was announced. The chaos that ensued after it and now. But City, at least, they managed to end the week on a strong front on the pitch. They got an important win at Aston Villa. And then, as we say, lifted their first piece of silverware of the season. Uh, you know, how's it been for a week for you? Uh, busy, busy week. Um, more busy than you would expect. And, uh, yeah, Monday was pretty bleak. Tuesday was pretty bleak. And then, all right, Wednesday was incredibly busy. And then... Yeah, it, it's been nice kind of to return to actual football and uh, Guardiola and this team were sort of in the Carabao Cup final because they, they're so committed to every game and uh, and they showed that commitment in in both games this week to pick up two, two very big wins. So, so yeah, not, not the best week for the club, but, um, you know, a, another terrific week for the football inside of things. Stu, I don't think... I say I don't think it was uh, the best week off the pitch, but I say, do you think? Do you think it's? A, I don't think many fans will forget what they did on the Sunday, but I think this, you know, this week on results is a, a you know, it's at least of a way for the fans to get behind the club again after a, a week that left many a bit um, kind of uh, jaded with the sport. Yeah, I, th- I think quite a bit of that subsided. Now it's now we've got more detail about what actually went on. And the fact that the the manager and the players both stood shoulder to shoulder, not only with City fans but with the rest of football as well. And to be honest, that's that's what football is, isn't it? It's the players and the manager and the fans. You know, these guys in suits who, who run the clubs. You know, they're, they're just a an additional irritation, something something we could probably do without. You know, I mean, back when I was when I was a kid, I mean, I'm going to sound like the four Yorkshireman now, but when I was a kid, you didn't even know who owned the club. You never paid any attention. You, you didn't know who was running the club. You know, you might know who the chairman was if it was a if it was a flamboyant figure. But these days, these people are kind of figures. You know, they sort of public figures, and people know who they are and know what they think and and so on. But um, I just and I just think that going to Wembley and winning and with the fans being there as well. So you had the fans and the players and the manager. It was the three elements of the club that came together to defeat the Super League idea, and the three elements of other clubs as well. Um, I just thought it was a, it was a great way to end that week and, and start start putting it behind them. Um, what was your kind of reaction to the Super League announcement, and what, where do you think City and the rest of the Premier League kind of go on from here, off the pitch? I guess. Um, it was kind of 
an unpopular opinion, but um, <laughs> I, I, I just kind of thought, who cares? I get that it's really bad for any, you know, big six team, anyone in the Premier League, fine. But like, from my point of view, as a supporter of a lower league club, I just thought there is like, it makes zero difference to my life as as a football fan. It's just like greedy clubs being greedy and greedy organisations being greedy. And as Guardiola sort of pointed out, the 14 clubs aren't any better. The Premier League aren't any better. They're like There is no moral high ground to get. And, you know, and subsequent reports have come out and said, oh, you know, Edward would met the government about it and, and the government greenlighted it and then came out against it suddenly when everyone came out against it. So, um, so basically, you know, once you get away from the players and the managers and et cetera, onto like the business side of clubs, that there are no goodies in the game. So I, I, I was utterly deflated by it. But at the same time, it was just like, it, like it's just the same thing over again. Like it, it, It's nothing new. It's been talked about for ages. I think, I think it was incredibly badly executed. Like I think had they called it a cup rather than a league, they'd have got about 30% less flack for it. Because it league gives the impression that they were breaking away from the Premier League, and they were saying, "No, we're just making a better Champions League, for instance." But it was just so, all of it was was horrendously done. But um, but I, I didn't sort of see it as like killing the game any more than like the new Champions League reforms are, or all clubs have been, you know, the the top of the game has been doing it for years and years. Mm-hmm. Well, at least we can finally put it to bed until. You know, six months later, when they try something audacious yeah. like this again, and then we all kind of kick off in uproar. At least we'll have a few chilled months. And to say, you were at Wembley on Saturday, sun on Sunday, side. Let's get back to the football. I thought City were excellent in this game. I only, I was only watching it on my phone in the beer garden, about three Guinness deep. But even then, I could still tell they were just all over Spurs. And Spurs almost did well to hold on for as long as they did, to like the eighty-first minute. But it was only ever going one way. If Spurs had managed to hold on till you know for extra time, it would have been an achievement because they I think they had two shots, one on target the whole game. You know, you would have thought they'd test Stefan a bit more considering his blunder in his last game. But yeah, it was just utter dominance from City. Yeah, it was one sided. It was it was an evisceration, a one nil evisceration. The, the the one thing for City was that they um, they didn't they didn't you know score the goals that would have shown how dominant they were. Um, they didn't test Larice enough. They went close a number of times. Um, Sterling had a shot blocks, forward and one onto the post. Um, but they didn't test Larice enough. But um, it was it was just like watching men against babies. It wasn't even men against boys. They were just like controlling the game so so much. So yeah, yeah thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly deserved and, and showing why they're the best team in the country. What did you... Um, think of the performance too. And do you think Spurs probably should have kept Mourinho or would Spurs, would they have had a better chance with Mason? Would it have been the same story had Mourinho stayed or would, did they make a mistake getting rid of a manager who is quite renowned for cup final victories, you know, five days before a cup final, you know, Spurs have done a lot of stupid decisions in this last week, but that could be one of them, you know, putting 29-year-old Mason, um, Ryan Mason in charge. So, you know, he's the only second game came against Guardiola. It's quite the baptism of fire for him. Yeah, I mean, I was tweeting about this during the game because the game looked like every other City Spurs game of the last two or three years. City having all the possession, all the chances, not putting them away, and Spurs were looking to break 
Now, I think it was that was a it was a deliberate tactic under Mourinho, and you know that that's the way he, he tends to play, and he, he's found that successful against City. I'm not sure it was. You know, we we heard Gareth Bale talking in the week about you know we need to be more on the front foot and right hinting that Ryan Mason had bought into that. You know, you've got these great players, you've got you've got players up front, you've got Kane, and you've got Son, and you've got Moore, and you uh, you've got Gareth Bale himself. You know, that, that's some that's some four up front. You know, they're all dangerous, dangerous players to be playing in that way. Uh, and the kind of players who could really hurt City and have done in the past. But I just thought City controlled the game so well. It was a blueprint for... I, I hate to start looking ahead because we'll be doing that in a bit, but it was a blueprint for the Paris Saint-Germain where they, you've got Neymar and Mbappe. You know, their strength is those front players, really. And it was a, a blueprint for that because if you can... if you, The idea is not to let Kane and Son... And, and Bale more have the ball, you know, just keep them penned in and keep it coming back at them. And that City did it absolutely perfectly. You know, it was it was superb. But the chances kept going begging, and that that was a, that was a problem. And, and ironically, they they win it with a set piece, you know, which is very Guardiola esque. But yeah, I thought I thought it was a terrific performance, um, and it, it kind of shows how City can beat. Anybody on the planet, if, if if they can do that, if they can execute the the way they press press uh, and keep keep teams pinned in, there's nothing you can do. If you can't get out, out your own half, well, where do you go from there? I, thought, I just thought it was a good moment for the port as well. Um, he's had the quite a tough season, being you know unexpectedly kind of had his place annexed off him by Stones, but for him to get the winner, I thought it was a good moment for him, Stu. Yeah, yeah, I I, I wrote something along those lines yesterday. He, um, you know, he's, he's had a tough time. He was out for most of last season with an injury, just at the point where he'd become a really, really important player for City. You know, he was undoubtedly the best defender uh, and everyone was talking about first name on the team sheet. You know, he, he was almost City's Virgil van Dijk. You know, you put him down and then you build the other 10, come after that kind of thing. But he's come back from that. He, he didn't look great at the start of the season. In fact, ironically, he was, he was, he was dropped after a poor performance at Spurs where he got hauled out of position by by Kane uh, after being expressly told by Guardiola. And Guardiola did the unusual thing and actually called. He didn't he didn't mention him by name, but we all knew that that's who he was talking about, you know, that he, he'd sort of made this error. Um, and John Stones stepped in and John Stones formed a partnership with Diaz and, and they've been the main two. So it's not not been a, a great a great season. There was even sort of talk about him being unhappy and perhaps looking to leave in the summer because he's, he's not like he's not the first choice I don't know how true that is but moments like that will will help you know he's he's, he's played that game he'll play in the next two domestic games as well because Stones is is suspended and I just wonder I, I think he may just play uh, against Paris Saint-Germain as well it would it makes sense to me there's not a lot between him and Stones when they're both on form and I think that him being left footed just gives that little bit of balance as well so That'll be interesting to see. But he's, he's, yeah, it was a big moment for Laporte. Scoring the winner in the cup final has always, always got to be a great feeling. And it, it was nice for him after after a tough season or two seasons. Um, I was actually going to take, push that over to you, Si. Like, Laporte, like Stones, I think since that England international break where he made a mistake in the game, I think it was against Poland, it seems like the kind of the old Stones has creeped in a little bit. That Villa game on Wednesday, which we'll touch on in a minute, you know, he had a mistake for Villa's goal in the first 20 seconds. Not the biggest mistake, but still a costly error. And then he gets sent off for a tackle that I, I you know, just despite Guardiola's umpteenth complaints, I don't think that he had much of a case to not be shown a red. Does 
does Laporte keep his place against PSG now? Because I think, as, as Stu says, they're both pretty good on, on when they're on farm, but Stones, his, his, his performance level has dipped a little bit in the last few weeks, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree with you that I think his level has dipped. I don't think we can sort of say, oh, it's John Stones, he always makes mistakes, luckily he did it against England, etc. Because, I mean, the first leg against Dortmund, um, he kept Erling Haaland very quiet, which is uh, no mean feat. I think we're kind of getting towards an issue that has been sort of brewing for a while. And the Stones-Diaz partnership has been amazing, but Guardiola, more than anything, loves a, a left-footed, left-sided central defender. And he thinks Laporte is the best in the world. And you feel like that balance, it will always be better. You feel like, well, Laporte and Diaz was the partnership that it was meant to be. Now, Stones and Diaz have got other qualities together. So as long as that partnership is rock solid, it can be better than than Laporte and Diaz. But when it drops a bit, like it has in the last few weeks, I think, then Laporte comes in. And I think, as Stu said, as as well with sort of P, with PSG in mind, like the way they stopped Son and, Son and Kane on the break. Walker was key to that, but Cancelo was key as well. And uh, Zinchenko, very, very good player. Not quite got the pace that Cancelo has. It was kind of noticeable on Sunday how quick Cancelo was getting back whenever he hinted any danger. So, yeah, you wonder whether Laporte and Cancelo have both played themselves into the team for, for Wednesday night based on, on Wembley. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk a bit more about PSG um, presently, but I think we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about more at the Carabao Cup final. There were fans there, Sai, for the first... Uh, was it this is the first match you've been to with fans in a year and a half? Uh, the second. 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 So how yeah. was that as an experience? I know it was only 8,000 in a you know less than 10% full, but it still must have been you know, quite a nice sight to see for once. Yeah, um, I said before the game that the highlight of my season, the best game has been Man City 1, Southampton nil at St Mary's because there were 2,000 fans in and it just made a hell of a difference. Um, it just felt a bit more like normal and I think we all need to feel as many things that are normal as we can in these times. And, uh, you know, I completely got why people didn't want to go on Sunday because it, you know, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, fans are back. It was, you know, fans, some fans are taking part in a test event and agreeing to jump through all these hoops and pay all this money to, you know, to to go and be part of an event that will be used as a guinea pig for the rest of the country. Um, but it was also an opportunity to see their team and uh, and it was just great it was like the noise was was brilliant from the off and it's just those little moments like you know Raheem Sterling his song was one of the most oft sung through the game and you know you, you miss that with players and those kind of just little boosts that they get a lot of support for Sergio Aguero you know he can't get any love from stuff on the pitch at the minute because he can't get on it but to have you know the whole fan base singing his name it's great and you know just before the goal there was that little just sort of surge of energy from the fans where they felt City were pressing, but they weren't quite getting on. It was just like, right, come on and do something. And and they did. So, you know, you can't say City won because they had fans there. But um, it, it certainly made a difference to the overall event, I would say. Did, did the atmosphere kind of translate to the TV, Stu? Um, uh, it, it did to, to some extent. But I was interested to decide to talk about Sterling getting plenty of support from the fans there. Uh, because I thought Sterling played an awful lot better. And you just wonder sometimes, you know, he's, he's, 
there are there, there, there are some dark rumours that he had a bit of a fallout with Pep, and that's behind all this. That tends to happen whenever uh, whenever a player isn't playing that well, and a manager's sort of making uh, dark hints about him in press conferences. I'm not sure it's true, but uh, the fact that he played tells you that that Pep had trust in him. But sometimes when you're going through a bad patch as a player like that, the fans can be right on your back, but they can also get you get behind you and give you a lift. And maybe that maybe that was the case at, at Wembley. Maybe. Maybe he's needed that little bit of love from the from the fans, and that may might have contributed to him. Uh, I thought he snapped out of it pretty much. I thought it was really dangerous for the first time in in many weeks. But yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, I, I I always I've been watching games with that false sound on, and it's just ridiculous. You know, you you get people mixing up the soundtrack. I remember seeing a United game with a Liverpool soundtrack, and you know, is that somebody winding United fans up or? Or what you know, and it just doesn't it just doesn't sound right. And you get when the when the ball goes past the post and it's it's just you know, I know that happens a little bit live because you get fans who think the ball was in the net, but it's just it was just all so fake. So yeah, it, it was good. It was good to hear hear proper fans uh, making a making a proper noise. And um you know, as we said, it's been a big week, not just for the Kyle Cup win, but Villa on Wednesday, two on win after going behind in the twenty seconds, Stu. That felt like before that game, it was like everyone's thinking, oh, United, eight points, six games, same position City were in in 2012. Um, it felt like a little rumbling that a title race could inexplicably be on. But I think, especially with the Leeds draw um, with United on Sunday, all those have been put to bed now. And City could, if City win at the weekend and uh, United lose to Liverpool on Sunday, City could have it um, all swept up. Yeah, going into the game, it, it took me back to, to 2012 when the situations were reversed. You know, it was there was... Six games to go, and United rate points clear. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure Simon will remember this very well because United went to Wigan on the on the Wednesday in midweek, and uh, or Tuesday maybe it was. Nobody held out much hope for anything to happen, and uh, and Wigan pulled off a one nil win. I still remember it, remember it vividly. I I, hadn't, I wasn't even following the game. I uh, uh, and and then the news came through, and I thought, oh my goodness, this this is back on, you know. And it obviously put doubts in in United's mind, and it gave City that little bit of a spur. I remember the atmosphere at City after that game, and it was this is on. And I was thinking, if that happens with Villa, you know, with City this time, it's going to have the, it's going to, it could easily have the same effect. You know, it makes. I mean, it was slightly different in that United still had to come to City in that campaign, but it doesn't really matter. You know, the, the principle's still the same. And I thought, and going behind so early, you, you instantly think this could happen. You know, this 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 could be this could be the start of it, but. The fact that City, who haven't been great at coming back from going a goal behind this season, the fact that they fought their way back into it, the fact that it was so early helped. If that had been, you know, in the second half, that had been a real issue. Uh, the fact that it was so early and City fought their way back and just and just ground Villa into into the mud really, and and they went they went suddenly uh, from being eight points to, to eleven points, even though United have a game in hand, makes all the difference. And I think that that probably played into United not looking particularly good at Leeds. I think if City had lost or even drawn at Villa, I think United at Leeds would have been a different prospect. They would have they would have sent his blood and uh, and looked a lot better. And to me that that at Villa could well be the moment that City wrapped the title up. What were your thoughts on that match? I presume you were there again. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought that was the important win because I th- I'm not sure if they knew when they kicked off at Villa, but there was sort of a possibility that or it, the, the kickoff times for next weekend only got confirmed recently. So there was a possibility that United Liverpool could be before City Palace 
in which case, if United, if City lost to Villa, then United could win the next two games and be two points behind um, ahead of City playing Palace in between both legs of the Champions League semi-final. So I, I, I could get the jitters um, from City fans. At the same time, I think this United side aren't good enough to win the league. And, you know, they've got a manager who's a a specialist in semi-finals and any time they've had the opportunity um, to close the gap, they haven't. I think, you know, I I slightly disagree. I think yesterday at Leeds with City and Carabao Cup action was the time for them to say, yeah, well, we're going to win and move this gap back into single figures and remind them that we're still here. And they never looked like doing that. So I, I was never worried that that City would lose lose the title, but I, I kind of got as the attention flipped a bit to other competitions that uh, that you know people might start to get a bit nervous. But but the Villa win was huge. Yeah. Well, speaking of huge, we've got a huge match this week: PSG and Paris on Wednesday. So this is everything City have been building for for the last 10, 11, 13 years. Does that we've not had a chance to talk about the Dortmund kind of victory on the podcast because of everything that's gone on in times and such, but. Does that Dortmund win, which I thought was quite impressive given the kind of circumstances of it, at the end they went through quite comfortably despite Dortmund having that little scare towards the end of the first leg. Does that Dortmund win stand City in good stead now that you know they can do it? They can get they've got past that kind of um break point and now, you know, the world's a roster sort of thing. Yeah, um I think they're well they I know that they're away record, then they've won 15, 16 consecutive games away from home is is the best English football has ever seen. It may well be the best the world has ever seen, but no one's quite got the records for that. But um, but they they just know what it takes to to win away from home. And Dortmund and Villa not only did they come back and get the uh, the result that the you know a point that they needed or a draw, but they they came through and got the win on both occasions. And after conceding a goal, they didn't really concede many other chances. And if you limit your opponent to a few chances and create loads of chances yourself, you've got a great chance of winning nine out of ten football matches, if not ten. So that's that's gotta be be the aim again. But I don't think they'll go to go to Paris with any fear, no. Um, obviously PSG will pose a bit of a different task to Villa and even Spurs, Stu. Like I was quite impressed with, you know, they've not buying Munich out in the quarterfinals in a repeat of last year's final, which they lost. I thought it was most telling of the PSG performance, especially the away leg, even though they, sorry, the second leg, even though they lost that 1-0, it was still an amazing defensive display from a pretty much makeshift defence. They'd lost uh, Marquinhos in the first leg and would, was a ramshackle defence of, um, I think, Diallo, a centre-back at left-back, a midfielder at centre-back in Pereira, and then uh, uh, Kimpembe and Florenzi, maybe it was. So, PSG under Pochettino now, of course, and quite might not quite be the lightweights that they are. And of course, they have Neymar, Mbappe, Di Maria, Draxler, a kind of wealth of attacking talent. This could it's looked like it could be one of the best Champions League semi-finals in a while, and that says a lot with the quality this competition has been giving us over the last five years or so. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how how Pochettino has them set up really, because he knows what City are like. He knows what they'll they'll try and do. I mean, does he does he sit in and then just use you know get the ball to Neymar, let him do something, get the ball up to Mbappe, uh, or does does he take them on, you know, and think no, we're we're just as good an attacking team as, as City, which they are. You know, you look at the talent that you've just mentioned. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see if if he's if he's willing to. To, to play it that way and just sit in and, and hit hits, I think he'd be they'd be massively dangerous if if they do hit City on the counter, 
but you know, I think City fans tend to still be living a little bit in the past in terms of the look at the look at the opposition. They'll say, "Oh, Neymar, God, he's you know, you know, at times he he was amazing against Bayern in, in the two games." Mbappe is so dangerous, you know. And you're looking at these players and thinking, "Oh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna give our defense terrible trouble." Because you, you think Stuart Dallas exposed them against Leeds and players like this, so you kind of think, "If Stuart Dallas does that, what's Mbappe gonna do to them?" Kind of thing. But what the way the, the way if you flip that on its head, and they'll be thinking exactly the same. You look at this City team with, with the talent they've got; they're more of a team. Uh, than PSG in terms, you know, PSG have got some some really good individuals, uh, but they've got the City have got got match winners all over. You know, you got you got De Bruyne there. Phil Foden comes in that category now. Uh, I think Riyad Mahrez showed at Wembley that that he's you know he, he's a player that will that will win big games. Uh, even I know he didn't he didn't win the game at Wembley, but he's he, he came so close on a few occasions. Uh, so I, I think that it's it's so even in terms of in terms of ability. It's just whether whether they can win that tactical battle, if they can keep PSG penned in and restrict them the way they restricted Son and Kane and Mora and then Bale, well, I, th- I think it's uh, for, for the taking for City. The only problem is when you get to this stage of a Champions League, you've got to take your chances. They didn't do it at Wembley. They won it with a set piece. If you don't take your chances, you can bet your life that Mbappe will get one, Neymar will get one, and they they will. Those are the kind of players that will take those chances. So City have to do it and, and try and restrict the chances at the other end. On that note, Sai, who do you think he goes with up front? I think Foden and Mahrez are nailed on. I think Foden, especially now, with his performance against Villa when he was absolutely outstanding, it seems like he is just... We talked on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, Harry saying, oh, he seems to be out of the team a little bit. But no, to think that he played in the Carrier Cup final when he could have been rested because he really wanted to win it. There's no chance on planet Earth he's getting rested against PSG. I'd wager. Mares again becoming so important. It's that middle striker role. I think I think it's Bernardo Silva's gonna get it, but again, he's not he's not a striker, is he? You know, Jesus and Aguero both on the bench. But I think just for the way they're gonna play, I think Bernardo's gonna be the one who gets the nod. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. It's three different options. I think I think Sterling has Stu wrote today. I think Sterling's really played himself into contention. I really like Sterling. He he creates things and he creates space and he finds space that nobody else on the team does. And it's been said a bit about Foden, like, oh, he, he wastes chances. And you think, yeah, but he's created that chance himself and no one else could have done what he'd done with it. So Sterling, he's still not got that goal that he needs to, to kick him on. But I think he was so much better on, on Sunday than he has been for, you know, a month, two months maybe then uh, I, I still think Sterling probably gives you that kind of individual spark that maybe Jesus and Bernardo don't. But, and I think I think maybe you want to play Sterling and, or Jesus because they give you like a forward option. But then City have looked really good against Gladbach and played against Dortmund with without a striker and Bernardo's in great form, like you say, and worked really well with Mahrez against against Villa. So I I think I think Mares and Foden nailed on. Bernardo is probably in the best form. Sterling would be your wildcard pick if you want a bit more of a forward option. And then Jesus probably for me comes in third out of those three. 
So City might have a couple of kind of advantages going into the game. Mbappe got injured on Saturday. Pochino remains hopeful that he'll be fit, but he seems like he'd be a doubt for the match. Obviously, losing him would be a massive kind of boost. And of course, unlike City, PSG are in the midst of a title race. They're actually second in the league at the minute after Lille picked up a late win and a massive win against Lyon yesterday or Sunday. Do do either of those play a factor, do you think, Stu, especially Mbappe, if he's gone? Like, what is your kind of prediction for this game? I think PSG are so close. Having got to the final last year, they'll want this more than anything. You know, City always talk about the Premier League being their, their priority. I think there's a little bit of kidology going on with that one. I think if they won the Champions League, they'd be, you know, it would, it would sort of rank higher than winning the Premier League, certainly this season. But in terms of PSG, they, they're, you know, winning the league just comes was natural and that that'll take care of itself for the rest of the season but I, th- I think they're absolutely desperate to win the to win the champions league i mean I, I was i was looking at some of the french media today about mbappe and he he um he sounds like he got a bang he's not he's not pulled anything it was his thigh sound like he got a, a knee in the thigh or something like that that that's given him a bit of a dead leg and he'll be fine i think i don't from what what they're saying you know if it is a muscle injury You've got a problem, but just getting a bang on the thigh isn't gonna isn't gonna keep you out of a Champions League semi final. So I don't think City can uh, can bank on that as being a, an advantage. But yeah, it's 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 beautifully beautifully set up. I mean, just going back to what Sai said. I mean, I I think Jesus is a stronger contender. He's not been brilliant just lately, but I always my mind goes back to those two Real Madrid games last season uh, when he was absolutely brilliant. Probably his two best games for City, and he's he's pressing in the second game gave Madrid absolute nightmares. You know, he was all over them and he's so good at that. He works so hard and he's he's rested. He's not not played an awful lot of football lately. And I was watching PSG in the in the uh in in the buying game, the last buying game, uh, and they were playing out from the back, taking real risks. They did it beautifully at times, you know, they were playing little triangles on the edge of their own area. And I'm sure that, that will have that will have had Pep sitting up and taking notice and that I'm trying to remember the front three, the three against Real Madrid. I think it was Foden, Sterling, and Jesus, and they worked perfectly in tandem. They had Kevin De Bruyne in behind them, cutting off the, the line into the into the midfield. And uh, I just thought that you know PSG playing out from the back will will City try and do the same to them as they did to Real Madrid in in the last sixteen game last season. And and Jesus is so good at that. He's he's so good at defending from the front but Bernardo Bernardo is as well but Bernardo isn't a striker you know I, I still a bit old-fashioned I still like to see somebody who whose main job is to put the ball in the net even though Jesus uh, doesn't come close to Sergio Aguero in that regard but he's, he's a little bit of both he's a little bit of a, a goal scorer and his goals record is good despite what people say but he's in terms of uh, working hard for the team and do, doing pulling other players out of position making space for others. He's really, really good at that. And I can imagine him lifting his game, Champions League semi-final. You know, he, he gets given a chance. Go out, go out there and, and show what you can do after a pretty ordinary season. Can I get a score prediction from you? Uh, the away leg, I think I think the City could win it in, in the first leg. And then just, you know, I, I'll, go, I'll go for a 2-1 to City. I, I think they'll concede, but I think they've got enough to... Uh, Come away with a win. And you, sir? Yeah, I would 
wholeheartedly agree with that prediction. Um, on, yeah. I'll go 1-1. One, one. Hopefully it finally poised for an exciting second leg in Manchester. Of course, we'll be covering it all, all the action on uh, the Manchester Evening News, forward slash Man City. Get us on Twitter at Man City, M-E-N. Get us on Facebook, Manchester Evening News, forward slash Man City. And yeah, we'll, get, we'll be keeping you well and truly informed of all the goings on. And hopefully that those goings on will never include the Super League ever again. So yeah, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Like, subscribe, share, all that jazz, and uh, we'll see you next week.